When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Cryptids of the Corn. Each week, Justin and Jay take a look at a topic in the crypto and paranormal world. They focus on the Midwest and Appalachia of the U.S., but sometimes they venture out. With everything from well-known monster sightings to one-off cryptids, live person interviews to actual fieldwork sneaking in some science lessons, there's sure to be something you'll enjoy. Please join us this episode of Cryptids of the Corn. Hello, hello, and welcome back, guys. So last week during recording, I was not feeling the best. So me and Jay made the decision to go ahead and not record, and we're just going to post a Patreon episode, Living Clouds or Carnivorous Clouds, whichever one you guys prefer to call it. Um, I just wanted to say we had a lot of fun meeting all you guys at Crypticon. Uh, the Hangouts were great. We will do a Crypticon shout-out on this next week's episode uh, when me and Jay are back in the recording studio together. But I just wanted to let you guys know what you were getting into because it's going to be very Patreon-based. Uh, so, yeah, remember, get us on Facebook, Instagram, and, of course, Patreon because that's this week's episode is the Patreon episode. All right, guys, enjoy the show. Hello, hello, and welcome back, Patreon. Patreon. And this may later on be a public episode, but for now, it's Patreon. So, welcome. Welcome. How are you, Jay? Sniffly. Yeah, so apologizing now. Jay is just getting over his, and I'm in the middle of my sickness. Yes, it's, it's that time of season. Jay, it's that time of year. The Hardin County Fair is here. Oh, that's Allen County. Hey, hey. What? I'm on the board at Hardin, so oh, okay, okay. it's always Hardin County. Oh, well, they don't have the cool, catchy song. Yeah. But we're sick. <laughs> we're sick. So uh, apologize for sniffles, apologize for coughing, and we're trying to have a lot of high energy. I drank enough coffee to kill a small horse. <laughs> So hopefully it'll work. I'm about to go drink a monster after this. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Get jacked. Yeah, uh, I'd say so. So who are you again? I am the great and powerful Mr. E. And I am, let's just say I'm under the weather, Jay. <laughs> and once again, together, we're going podcast. But you already know that because you're Patreon members. So thank you again for your patronage. Um, I think so. Everybody knows that the Patreon benefits and stuff are going to be updating here soonish. I don't think we're going to start them until after the first of the year. And then we will backdate and stuff like that. You know, we'll work on that. But mm-hmm. we're not, I'm not going to post them on the Patreon site until, until after then. the first. Yeah. yeah. After, you know, holiday season. But I'm over. getting, I think, the first special t shirt art made soon. Ooh. So that'll be exciting. Patreon exclusive? Well, yeah, it's for the top tier, the $10 tier. Okay. We'll have that yearly t shirt that's just. Just Patreon. You can't buy it. It's the only way you get it. It's through Patreon. Is, is the $10 tier. If you have it for a, the whole year, you get that t-shirt. Is it starting to say the corn cult? No, I think I'm going to do something really special. We'll see. Okay. Uh, but today, what is the show topic, Jay? We're going to talk about living clouds. Yeah, monstrous clouds. Uh-huh. 
Uh, so yeah, once again, we're on our atmospheric monster kick. Um, there's many, many types of atmospheric creature. Uh, I've been doing heavy research for a side project, and there's many types and forms. Some are a lot more aggressive than others. Some seem to be more biologically complex, and some seem to be more biologically simple. Mm. Uh, so this group we're going to talk about today is living clouds. And it doesn't mean actual living clouds. It means creatures that are similar in appearance to a cloud due to probably having a really stretched membrane filled with gas. There you go. Uh, with heavy camouflage. In layman's terms. Yeah. So they're biological. You know, they look similar to clouds. Uh, they can look like white clouds or really dark rain-filled clouds. Most of the time they don't produce rain per se. We'll talk about it in a second. I had an experience. With oh, that. yeah. Yeah, I'll, I was like... I'll tell you later. I thought you meant the blood, and I'm like... Oh, no, no, not that. No. I was like, what? Uh, no. So these clouds, yeah, they're normally... You know, they can be up to 600 feet long, sometimes a lot bigger, but they're normally low-flying. Uh, they're noticeable. That's kind of the weird thing with... You hear these people describe these clouds, is they're very noticeable. You literally just described what I saw. Yeah. So we'll get to it later, but... Yeah, Jay's will be the last one of the day. I have four... So we're using Oddities in Print by Adam Benedict. Uh, these are great books. It's pretty much uh, the Public Library of Congress. You know, he went through and found all the monsters and weird stuff that's ever been reported. Which is a lot. It's a yeah. thick, thick book with two C's. Um, but yeah, so these living clouds, there may be a really darker side to them than people realize. So I don't think these are like really high-end apex predators. I think these are more like big sponges. Okay. But you do not want to be in their way. Well, who wants to be in the way of a big sponge? Uh, well, I think an acid-filled sponge is maybe... Uh, even worse. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jay, you want to do our first story? Sure. So, just follow the big green marks. Oh, all right. Sweet. So, the first story we're going to go with is is uh, from the, the Wheeling Daily Intelligencer, uh, published June 8th, 1868. Before you continue, 1868, long time ago. What is the name of this paper? The Wheeling Daily Intelligencer. Intelligencer. Yes. Now, see, I've, I had a lot of trouble writing in high school. Uh, and it may be because my brain was actually writing from the 1800s. Because I feel like I wrote the word intelligencer <laughs> before. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't get it corrected. Like, I didn't get it counted as right. Oh, see? See, they they just, I'm just more intelligent than everybody. You were born in a different time. Exactly. I do feel like an old man. I do have a, like a lot of old man tendencies. Yeah. O- an old soul. Yes. I've been called that more than once. Me too, actually. It's I weird. sit there and play euchre or I, bridge. I never knew really what it meant, but I've been called that by multi- different people in my life. So, yep, go on. I'm sorry. Um, the title of this article was called A Monster of the Air, and it's translated from the, uh, I'm going to say this wrong, El Faro Carol of Santiago, Chile, from March 26th, I believe, of the same year. So so the Wheeling Daily Intelligencer picked up this story from Chile. And you're going to see that as a common theme in this book. It's really weird. Like, just because the paper's in Ohio, the story's well, from Nevada. Not Ohio, or West Virginia, around uh, the border. No, I'm just saying, no, there's all, all this happens everywhere. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. As an example. Gotcha, that, okay. You know, it could be halfway across the world. So this is from, you know, the West Virginia paper from Chile. Which is... Why is, why is it not shocking it's West Virginia posted this? But Chile has a long history of yeah, sky true. monsters. That's very true. And it's kind of weird. And Chile is on the West Coast, right? Is that right? On South America? Yeah, so the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they do have a lot. Is that where Peru is? Peru and Chile? 
Am I crazy here? I think Prue's more in the middle. Okay. I think I think Prue does touch chili, but I think it's more because it's in the middle. Okay. I don't know my South American geography that well, but... But, yep, let's get into the story. Okay. So here's the story. Yesterday, about 5 o'clock p.m., when everyone had finished work at this time, and the work... And work at this mine, sorry. When everyone had finished work at this mine, it was the Garen mine, and the workmen in the group were awaiting their evening meal, we saw... S- something coming through the air a gigantic bird which at first was we supposed to be a cloud surrounded by the atmosphere and divided from its companions by a chance current of air so real quick pause yeah they are calling this a bird the description you will hear in a second is not a bird uh i think they are calling this a bird because it is their best word. Keep in mind, it's already been translated once. Correct. In the 18, what, 60s? 1868. So it's been translated from whatever language they speak in Chile to I English. Believe, I believe Spanish. I, yeah, I, I think it is, but I didn't want to... Assume. Idea. Right, yeah. I don't know. So... Peruvian. I think they're calling it a bird because it's flying. Because when you hear the description, the first thing they thought it was a cloud. Yeah. At so, first, we supposed to be a cloud surrounded by the atmosphere and divided... From its companions by a chance of oh so divided from the other clouds like this cloud by was a in chance the, current with, yeah so okay. it started diving down okay all right continue as the object in question came near filling us with a very natural feeling of surprise we were able to note that it was an unknown creature of the air the rock of the thousand and one nights perhaps now the rock is an is an old tale of a, a giant, giant bird, the elephant used, eater. Yes, they used to, yes, exactly. Swoop down and pick up elephants. It was oh, that whales, thing. whales, big old things. Um, perhaps or possibly a leviathan of the deserts. From whence did it come? To where was it going? Its direction was from the northeast to southwest. Its flight rapid and in a direct line. On passing a short distance, and over our heads. We were able to note the rare um, structure of its body. Its great wings were clothed with a brown plumage. The head of the monster was in the shape similar to that of a grasshopper, with enormous eyes wide open and brilliant as stars, and covered with something like hair or bristles, the body lengthening itself out like that of a serpent, which emitted metallic sounds as the strange animal moved itself along. Surprise resolved itself into fear among the workmen in the presence of such a strange phenomenon. The whole stock of ornithological science possessed by the good miners was in vain, exhausted to find the name and qualities of the strange bird which had just passed without leaving a sign. Some assert that in those moments they perceived a detestable smell, like that given out by arsenic on being burned. Others that their senses were not offended by any unusual odor. The superstitious believe that it is the devil in person that they had just seen pass, while others recollect, recollect having been witnessed some years ago in the same place of a, the passing of a similar monstrous bird. Sorry, you could not go on. Okay. I thought you were going to say something. The whole affair in its... In, is, uh, let me start again. <laughs> As the whole affair is in the extreme curious, we have thought our duty to communicate it to you, withholding all useless comment, for the truth is that we cannot explain satisfactorily to ourselves what we had seen, 
for the first and probably the last time of our lives. Can it be possible that in the desert or the cord- corderas? Cord- Calder- calderas. No, it's it's see, cordil. Oh, gosh. It's whatever. It's okay. over 200 years ago. In the desert. Let's just say, can it be possible that in the desert, nature pleases to give life to these monstrosities and rears them uh, in solitude for many years? And when they have attained sufficient strength, they commence their flight through space. And the earth guards their skeletons to the confusion of sages who, on meeting them, believe they have found antediluvian remains. So this is, that's a paper from West Virginia that wrote that. That's not. Well, it translated that. Right? No, they, they they translated the story. They wrote that part of the article. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Uh, wow. Yeah. West Virginia is used to monsters. Yeah. So, like, yeah, that's not too weird. We have a snallygaster. Sounds like a snallygaster. That's kind of crazy that... So, let's go over the creature real quick. Okay. Yeah. A grasshopper-like more. head with brilliant eyes. The serpent-like body in large wings with a brown plumage. Plumage, yes. And on the head, something Quills. like hairs or bristles, yeah. And this the, is not a bird. The body lengthening out like a serpent. This is not a bird. I wouldn't Nothing say Nothing so. about this sounds like a bird. The only reason I think they called it a bird because it was, it was flying. Exactly, yeah. Um, the smell is kind of interesting. Like the pious bird of yeah. North American folklore is not a bird. They called it a bird because it was uh, able to fly. Mm-hmm. It was more like a dragon. Okay. Uh, but they just called it a bird because that's what the Native Americans did. I'm not sure I know what the pious bird is. It's out in Illinois. It's 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 looks like a um oh gosh, more like a uh not a chimera. Yeah, more like a chimera. The lion head and everything like that. Okay. Like a like a furry dragon. Okay. But it, it didn't have wings, but it, they drew wings on it to show it was a bird as in it had flight. Mm, okay. So it's 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 really complicated. More symbolism. Yeah, more symbolism than anything else. Okay. So they this is not a bird. No, not at all. Uh, grasshopper-like head is very interesting. It makes me think of giant, you know, basically, I don't think it means like the mouth parts. I think it's more talking about the eyes. Yeah. Where a grasshopper's head is mostly eye. Yeah, it is. That's true. Uh, where, you know, the, the front end of this thing has massive eyes. Man, that would be scary. And when it says brown plumage, and that, once again, this is reading into this story, there's nowhere that documents what I'm saying is correct. Because uh, it's one story from the 1860s. Yeah. Um, but the plumage, I think, is more meaning the color is like that kind of moldy, mold, modeling brown kind of mm-hmm. deal. It's very, it's very weird. And a long serpentine body. Uh, Quetzalcoatlus is a South American, Central American deity, uh, which is a feathered serpent. Yeah. But once again, it's not feathered. I, I personally believe it's not feathered because it had feathers. It was feathered to show it had the ability to fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they called it the plumed serpent. Yeah. Which, that word, plumed. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And there's a, you ever seen that pyramid in South America? I forget which one it is, but it's it's Quetzalcoatl's, mm-hmm. whatever. They named the pyramid after him on certain days, like on the spring equinox. The when the, the way the sun rises on the corner of it, it creates, uh, the sunlight creates a serpent shape going up. As the sun is rising, a serpent rises up on the side of the staircase because the way the sun hits it just right. Oh, that's neat. It's pretty cool. But as far as the story, I really think they may have seen a... Uh, it's hard to pick which monster they seen, but it came in with cloud vapor around it. Yeah. 
So that could be one of their camouflaging mechanisms is they literally may produce a gas. I was just going to say that, yeah, if it's producing its own plumage, I yeah. guess. Because it might not have wings, but it might have this shooting out the side of it or kind of as camo. So, yeah, and flying snakes are a very common thing, uh, which is weird. Uh, yeah. They're still seen to this day commonly. Uh, NASA has hundreds of pictures of flying snakes. It's crazy you don't ever hear about it. Yeah. Ever. Soon you will. Well, yes, let's blow the lid off it. I, I am. I know. Uh, Smithsonian. Oh, gosh, geez. We'll get into it. Yeah. But so this story is very unique. Uh, well, not, it, it's weird. It's happened a ton. I'm I'm really interested, like, at that, that little last little bit with the, uh, that they added, you know, the new, especially West Virginia newspaper. Um, the very last line, believe they have, sorry, believe they had found antediluvian remains. Now, they don't talk about, they don't talk like that nowadays oh all. no they'd be shot yeah antediluvian is something like no one really talks about anymore except that new documentary that just come out our series on netflix i want to watch with your favorite guy uh, Ham- graham hancock and randall, randall carlson but that, we need to watch that we should do a review over that i just have opinions on graham i know i'm just giving you i a don't hard even time. dis i don't dislike him i don't like him i know i'm just giving you a hard time but they talk about antediluvian civilizations and stuff like that but antediluvian in itself like pre-flood is what that means um they don't that's just not mentioned nowadays it's not and you got to think this is uh unfortunately this is a much more religious time i wish our time was much more religious everybody at home knows i'm a a very strong Christian, mm-hmm. and I think that's why is because the flood is so big mm-hmm. in Christianity. Yeah, that I do believe there was. So it's hard to explain, but I do believe the Great Flood may have wiped out some species. Oh yeah, or some races, or entire species, entire races. Yeah, I believe so too. So that could be, you know, it's weird that it's just only two hundred years ago, and they're talking so differently. Oh yeah, ain't that nuts? No. It, uh, you don't think so? I mean, no, I don't think it's nuts. I think once the 40s hit, the 1940s, mm-hmm. that's when the world changed. Post-World War II? Yeah. wonder if World War II finished what World War I was supposed to start or finish. I think I think they're very separate things. Yeah. I know back it's to se- back. Yeah, I think they're very separate things. World War I was a more traditional war. Mm. Fought over, you know, assassinations of political leaders like every other war that's been fought for the last 2,000 years before it. Yeah. Yeah. World War II is just like, I don't, you know, we don't even know nowadays. We know, but I don't know. A lot of things change. His- the lady i had seen Hitler I knew just passed. Oh, yeah? I told you, Gertrude, yep. our friend's mom, mm-hmm. our, her, our friend's grandmother. Uh, but yeah, she told us about Hitler and stuff like that. And she, it was weird. I know we already got on a big side tangent. We talked about sky monsters. Now we're on Hitler. But I think the four, I think the 1940s was when the world changed. Oh yeah, it was setting the path that we're on now. Mm-hmm. Changed paths or changed course. Mm-hmm. I think because it's even in the 30s, you can hear papers talking like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some in here in the 1930s where they're fine. It, it they they talk a lot more freely. It's, yeah, it's just odd. Do you think we're in a change right now, where the world's changing? Uh, that's yeah. I, I the world's always changing. Yeah, I know the world's always evolving and changing and adapting. Culture, society. But let's move on to the okay. next story. Oh no, let's. Yeah, what do you think this creature was? I kind of that's sky snake. I think it was too. That's uh, I only included it in the living clouds one because the front of it had the cloud. Yeah, the plumage. Uh, but I don't think it was anything. I think it was just in clouds, mm-hmm. and they seen a big sky snake. 
Also, too, I wonder if it has, if it was going through clouds and it, and depending on how these things fly, if it could have had like whatever, not force field, but like a pressure zone around it where it pulled the clouds in, you know, like where it they could kinda... be doing something like that. And then I want to clarify something real quick. Just because we're calling this guy snake, I do not think it's a reptile. I don't think it's a snake. Just the shape. It's the shape. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's it's just how we're, it's just one of the categories. So yeah, take it notes. It just looks like a just looks like a snake. It's not a snake. I promise. Right. It's not a snake. So just take notes at home. This is one of the categories. It's probably of... a flying worm. Ooh. Okay. More what's those what are those called? I can't think of the scientific name for word or for worms. The uh what class they're in or whatever. Oh, there's a ton of worm classes. Okay. I I don't know why. We dissected them in biology class. Now I can't remember the name. Uh, Alligakeets are the one I always bring up, but that's sewer worms. Uh, ooh, yeah. We don't want to talk about them. That's the ones that eat toilet paper. I used to breed and feed paper towels. Ooh. That's what they'd eat. They love paper towels. <laughs> well, something's got to eat them. I, they love to eat paper towels. It was <laughs> weird. Uh, here's our... This next story is, I think, one of my favorites in this whole book. And that's, this is the, actually the story that inspired this episode topic. It's called A Rain of Bones. Um, it's published in the National Union in American, July 11th, 1872 in Tennessee. Um, here we go. A strange phenomenon. Phenomena. Do, 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 do. Phenomena. Phenomena. Do, 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 do. <laughs> we had to. I, 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 every time. Okay, let me clear my nose real quick. Sorry, people at home. This, I, we're sick, okay? We're sick. You're just going to deal with us today. Okay. If the statement of some of the residents of Louisiana are to be credited, um, Dom Nature has recently been playing strange pranks in that part of the country. So this happened in Louisiana. Um, A writer to the New York Journal of Commerce, whose veracity and good standing is vouched for by the editor of that page, gives the following particulars of a strange phenomenon that that occurred in Carroll Parish last month. He says that a heavy storm visited that parish some days previous to the writing to the date of writing, the twenty first um, of what would that be? I think it was said February. I can't remember. Um, or no, the twenty first of the previous month. The previous month. That's what that word means. So there's these weird words. It says previous. The we 21st, had to look these alt, ups. Yeah, we just alt means up. previous month. Previous month. So j- June, June twenty first of June, and a storm. And during the storm, fish bones fell to the ground by the million. These bones seemed to come from an exceedingly large black cloud that was passing at the time. The shower of bones was attended by a heavy fall of rain. The correspondent says that the bones rattled on the roof of his house like hailstones. This strange phenomenon extended over a belt of of country 10 miles in width by many miles in length, accompanying the letter were... were the seven of the bones, varying from one inch to two inches and one sixteenth in length, from seven sixteenths of an inch to twelve and a half sixteenth of an inch in breadth. So that's a lot of numbers to be thrown at you, but I mean, fish bones, fish bones. They sent in seven fish bones along with this letter to the paper. There, yeah. Um, I'll explain after. What? The fishbone thing. Oh, oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. They are of an irregular diamond shape. One side of the bones is nearly flat, having on the underside, which was worn smooth, three small apertures, as if veins or tendons had passed through them. 
These specimens had been shown to experienced fishermen and also learned ichthyologists. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. All right, cool. But they are not able to ascertain to what particular kinds of fish the bones belonged. They all agreed, however, in the opinion that they are veritable fish bones. Several theories have been advanced in explanation of this strange phenomenon. It is generally conceded, however, that the bones must have passed through the air for hundreds and perhaps thousands of miles. The inhabitants of the parish believe that they were brought by a waterspout or a whirlwind from the western coast of Mexico or lower California. So we're talking about, pause real quick. Mm -hmm. We're talking about Louisiana. It's a bit far from California. And they're saying a waterspout brought it from the west coast of Mexico or California. It's pretty far away. You might as well say Alaska. Well, that's even further. I'm saying it doesn't matter. Yeah. You're over a thousand miles away, so you're saying these bones are floating in the sky for a thousand miles because of a waterspout. That's one hell of a waterspout. I've been doing a lot of atmospheric study, like actually studying how the atmosphere works. Mm-hmm. They don't get that big. You d- they don't go up into the water upper, spouts upper don't atmosphere. get that big. A hurricane, sure. I don't even think it gets that tall. They're not that tall, but yeah. it has enough power to throw something like that up that high. Okay. But you would know. And then just bones. Right, just the bones. No, no meat. Yeah, because there's plenty of cases of raining fish and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and that's more the water spout phenomena. You know, it hits a, a tornado, even tornado hits a pond. It's something just, just right. It gets rid of all the water. Yeah, throws everything meaty and chunky out. Right. Yeah. So it's your turtles and your fish, but just bones. Yeah. So continue. I just wanted to say that that it was something in the story that's like, what? <laughs> right. Yeah. So, uh, where was that? From the western coast of Mexico to lower or lower California across the continent, as the wind was blowing at the time violently from the southeast. Oh, that makes sense. The wind was blowing violently. So there you go. From Problem what solved. direction? From the southeast. So from. So I think that means it's blowing. Where's where's southeast? Right. I can't remember how Florida. The, how wind? No, it's blowing from Florida to Louisiana, and they think the water spout came from California or Mexico. Is that how the wind, how you call wind? Yes. I didn't know if it meant like... If it's blowing from, that means it's coming from that direction. Okay. So the wind is actually moving in the exact opposite direction, which can happen. There can be many layers that are moving on top of each other. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Shoot, that's how... uh, Oh, here's a little thing I learned. I'm going to teach you about wind. You probably already know. So like uh, Google and stuff, they launch these balloons way up into the atmosphere to to spread, to have Wi-Fi and satellite signal for people. And they use the wind currents up above the atmosphere or then the upper layers because sometimes it'll be blowing like east to west yeah, and then no, west moves, and then you go up even further it blows from west to east mm-hmm. and they track this and what they do is they uh so they'll launch the balloon up to a certain area and they'll let it blow like across and then when they know it's getting too far they'll like inflate it even more so it, it goes a higher wind current and, go and, back. and goes back yeah. and they just use this to track it's back and forth. around yeah which yeah. is pretty neat technology but also kind of scary mm. <laughs> but that's a lot of power to be having or did, I don't know. It's, that's kind of nuts. Um, here, let's finish this last line. We have heard of it raining cats and of its raining cats and dogs, but fishbone showers are something altogether unprecedented. Which is yes, I agree. It is okay. So this large black low flying cloud, mm-hmm. the whole town notices it. Yeah, it is so odd. The town notices in the middle of a thunderstorm. Oh, interesting. Okay. 
So or right right after or right before thunderstorm. Yeah, I think they had just here. Let me go back. I think the thunderstorm had passed several days before, right? So it says yes. Um, it says that heavy storms visited the parish some days previous. So you have this heavy thunderstorms, and then you have a large black cloud that's flying low over the town, spitting up bones. And then specifically diamond shaped bones. And then it said the shower of bones was attended by a heavy fall of rain. So it looks like it was followed. So you have storms before it. This happened, and then it starts raining immediately after. So in between the storm cells, there's one black cloud that is just spitting out bones. Mm. And almost millions of bones. Should we get into a little theory here? Yeah, so I'm going to get into that here in a second. I'm going to ID the bones for you real quick, though. Oh, okay. I don't know what ichthyologist they showed this to, Mm. uh, but anybody worth their salt, the bone that you just described to me, diamond-shaped, with little holders on it, is 100% a gar scale. Oh, okay. Uh, gar scales are diamond shaped. They're interlocking. They have little holders on them. Uh, now, do gar come from? Yes. Oh, my Mexico gosh. Mexico and oh, No, 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 no. Louisiana. Okay. So it may not be that far away. Louisiana, Arkansas, and Texas are the gar capitals of the world. So you would think those local people should have known what they were, maybe. I, keep mine. Where's the paper at? Well, this paper was in Tennessee. So they mailed this account ah, with the bones Tennessee. to Tennessee. Where gar aren't as common. Long nose gar are there, sure. But, you know, I don't know what ichthyologist they showed this stuff to. I really don't. But even any ichthyologist in North America should know from picking it up that's a gar scale. Unless they're just very localized. I don't that, know. Or they're oceanic ichthyologists. Well, or, I mean, this was 1870s. Maybe they were very localized, you know, people that studied that, you know, just could their be. local area. They could be. I'm not letting anybody off the hook, though. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because you're a fish guy. But, um, yeah, it's like 100% gar scales, millions of gar scales. So what this sounds like is this creature that was uh, camouflaged. So right before storm systems happened in Louisiana, Arkansas, and Texas, from my personal experiences, uh, floods happen, Oxbow Lakes form and deform really fast, gar get stuck everywhere, and they just lay out and die. Mm-hmm. Or they get, end up in really shallow water, and they just lay there half dead. Uh, we've literally, me and Nick have walked around Arkansas picking up gar and throwing him back into the river mm. because it gets stuck in fields and stuff like that. Sometimes in the thousands. Wow. Uh, we've seen a pond, like a little half acre pond mm-hmm. that had some eight and a half foot gar in it, alligator gar with thousands of littler gar. Oh, wow. Okay. Because uh, it just got stuck there. Because every time it rains and it floods, some gar breed in those flood fields. So they get out and they breed and then they end up getting stuck because they're just too big. Mm, interesting. Uh, gar are also very curious animals. Yeah. So they'll just, when they can explore, they go explore, and then oftentimes it kills them. Yeah, get stuck somewhere. So this could be a creature that's I, it's disguising itself as a cloud that just literally absolutely filled itself on Gar. And it may have filled itself to the point where it couldn't get back up in the upper atmosphere anymore. I was waiting for that next storm cell to get up. So it filled itself on these Gar and literally started digesting them. But you cannot digest the gar. They're, they're scales. They're modified scales. Uh, but they're heavy, bony scales. Mm. So it just purged them. All kinds of animals do this. Yeah. The parts they can't digest, they just throw them up. Spit them out. Mm-hmm. So, so that may be what's happening. When it was trying to ride this next storm system out, so it was getting rid of all the excess weight. So what do you think kind of creature this is? Now, there's a couple theories uh, with it being something like amoeba-like. 
Okay. Where it's basically one cell or, you know, a very simple organism, maybe even in the jellyfish family, but way simpler. Okay. Uh, where it's more like a, it acts more like a single celled organism. Yeah. Like, a, was that a eukaryote? Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So it acts more like that, even though it's maybe, it's it's still multicellular being that big. It has to be. Yeah. You know, there's no. It just acts like it. Yeah. But biologically, it fills that same function, just massive, and it's gas-filled. Uh, but it would just basically be per- it'd be just filling itself on rotting material, digesting what it can, and getting rid of the rest. Mm. Uh, it could be our manta rays or even our jellyfish we see in the upper atmosphere. Uh, once again, I don't mean manta rays as in the ocean-going manta ray. I mean the manta ray-shaped uh, living creatures we see in the upper atmosphere. Same with the jellyfish. Uh, they both have similar forms in the upper atmosphere. So these could be these creatures that are disguising themselves as these clouds, and they are just filling themselves on available food source. Mm, you know, okay. if these gar are all dead, you know, it's super easy to grab a dead fish. Yeah, especially if it's laying out in a field. And if you get like if you get pushed down by a storm front, and you're stuck down there, and then you see this bounty of, I don't know, protein. I don't I know, mean, super protein rich. Yeah, I mean it's and it's actually then you go the fungal route if you want to think it's one of our fungal UFOs that disguise themselves as a cloud. Mm. That it's already pre broke down. So it's just it's, it's, it's right for picking. Yeah, fish are super easy to rot. Mm. Oh yeah, they are. Oh, they stink too. Yeah. So it would be a really good food source, and then it's trying to ride the second storage system out. It's but it wants to get rid of all of, all excess weight. Yeah. Because it's so it's literally throwing up millions of gar scales. Mm. And each gar, you know, can probably have you know I don't know I don't know a hard number, but probably ten thousand scales on it. Yeah. So you know you don't have to eat a whole lot of gar relatively to get to your millions. Of bones falling. Oh, yeah. And, it, you know, these bones fell... What's it say? I've literally seen... They fell extended over a belt of country 10 miles in width by many miles in length. So that's, you know, that's quite an area. Mm-hmm. And it could be a lot more than one of these creatures. Ooh. Uh, they could school or pack or whatever you want to call unit. them. I don't, I don't think they're that complex. Yeah, yeah. I think they're more like a jellyfish, how jellyfish school together. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh and then they feed on a similar food source, mm-hmm. and they they're more reacting. Whatever these base creatures are, they're definitely more reacting on instinct. The cloud creatures yeah. don't seem to think a whole lot. Okay, uh, they seem to be much simpler animals. They well, just be yeah, uh, more more similar to a modern day most oceanic jellyfish. Uh, and there's some jellyfish that are quite complex in movement and stuff like that, but these guys. Just seemed uh, when they're down here, they can dodge stuff like our like we have some tidal marine species of jellyfish that can dodge interweave with uh, mangroves and stuff like okay. that. But these guys, these cloud ones, seem to be more like that, but really simple. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Now, one time, uh, I was at a track. I used to coach track and field, and we were in Spencerville during the Bearcat relays, and it had just rained. No, it was. It yeah, it just rained earlier that day. It had been raining all day, and when we got to the track meet, it had just stopped raining, but it was still super, super cloudy. Like it was just gray. Now it is in Ohio, and we were all sitting there. It's about the, right before the first or second race had just happened, and you just see this big giant band of cloud. Looked like the mothership from Independence Day, but it was dark, dark brown, and like looked like a crazy storm cloud. And it just covered the whole sky, but it was in a big, like, almost rounded shape, like like the mothership. And it just started coming right towards the stadium. 
you know, and it was way bigger than the whole event area. Like you, you could see it for a far distance, but it was just straight across the sky and just moving straight this way. So we're all like watching it come and we're like, oh, we're about to get just destroyed by rain. And it slowly just went right over the stadium. And when it did, the whole place got completely silent because everyone's just looking up, waiting for it to just pour. And everyone's just watching it. Everyone. All the athletes, all the people in the stands, the officials, everyone just kind of stopped. It was weird. And it got silent. And we're all looking up, watching this cloud move over. And it was dark brown. And it was like it was weird because it had like a – it was definitely distinctly different from the gray clouds above it. And then you just see it hover right over the stadium. And it just went past. Everyone's waiting for it to rain. About last a minute and a half maybe. And it just passed over. And then it kept going. Never rained. And it just kept going. And then we all continued on like nothing had happened. But it was just sticks out to my mind now that, that we're on a, doing stuff like this. It makes me wonder. Wonder if that was something other than just a cloud. Wonder if it was one of these things. And it's weird because everybody noticed it. Everybody stopped. The whole venue got, I mean, there's a track meet with eight different schools there. Everyone, it was silent. It was silent. And now, you know, going to the confessionals and stuff like that. I we've had dozens of emails, messengers, it's sending us videos of weird clouds. Oh yeah, and a lot of them, about fifty fifty, are clouds, and then some of them are actually freaky things, like that one that was pulsating. Oh, that was like a weird. jellyfish. Yeah, uh, but yeah, a lot of weird stuff out there. Oh, well, let's do the next one. Okay, the next one. Ooh, this one's co- got a cool title, Blood Shower. So this is a. Uh, Another one that's up there with the bone shower for me. Mm-hmm. This was published in the Chicago Daily Tribune, January 21st, 1881. Um, it's The title is Blood Drizzling from the Clouds at Virginia. So here we go. Bristol, Virginia, January 20th. Mr. James M. Quillen arrived here today from Nicholsville and makes a statement corroborated by the mayor and other prominent citizens of that place, in which he affirms that yesterday about midday, a strange cloud was seen hovering over a half-acre field on the farm of Dr. Abram Salyer, or Sailor, in the lower end of Russell. In a few minutes, a red shower began to fall and covered the ground and clothes of those who stood beneath with a red substance which could not be told from blood. Mr. Quillen's shirt front and hat were covered with what appeared to be bloodstains. The shower lasted about a minute and the red stuff came down in a slow and fine drizzle. The cloud then rolled off gradually. The singular part of the occurrence is that soon in this one place, the sky was clear. The phenomenon causes intense excitement amongst the colored and ignorant white people. Many affirming the approach Keep mind, everybody. of the end of the world. Written in 1881. That's okay. I don't think there's anything. No, I'm just saying it's just the the colorful language. Right. Just like it being like, what I mean, colored white people. It was talking about them being covered in blood. No, um, it says, oh, okay. Okay. I I see what you're saying. I I think it kind of meant both people. I think it meant everybody. No, did it? I think so. I thought it was talking about the white people being. I don't know. Maybe yeah, it did. It's, it's weird. I don't know. It's, you know, a long time ago. Yes. But um, raining blood, like a fine or, mist of blood. Or blood-like thing. Yeah. Now, um, wasn't there a lake 
oh, this is going to bother me because it just popped in my head. There was a there was a red lake. I can't remember what country it was. It might have been Africa. And it rained like a red substance and filled this lake. That's going to bother me now. I think it was like an algae or something. Yeah, there's algae that are red. But it, it rained that. Yeah, it, it, it can. It, I don't know. I don't think – so that's colored like red. Yeah. This is a viscous like blood. Mm, okay. And colored. Yeah. Um, and it's coming from a one weird cloud that's not behaving regularly. Like yes, exactly. It's behaving like a thing. Do you think it was dying? So that is one of the thoughts. Let's say these beings have blood. It could literally have been injured. That's why it's flying low. Ooh. Uh and it's literally bleeding. Um, it could be some kind of reproductive fluid. Ew. Yeah. And the next story will involve that too. Um to where you have these kind of things that may be reproducing much more simply than what we may be looking for, to where there's sporing or slime molds or stuff like that. You know, it's really similar where they're just leaving chunks of them around, mm-hmm. and that forms new creatures. Okay. Um, it could be regurgitating extra non-necessary food sources. Mm. So let's say they ate a whole thing of cows somewhere. That, you know, hundred head of cow that's missing, it's crushing them up in its gullet. And spitting back out the blood. Yeah. It doesn't want the blood. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. There's a... Uh, it's weird. I wish they would have, uh, like, collected the substance and... What were they going to do in 1881? I know, right? I know. Think about that. DNA was... Nobody... DNA didn't exist for another 100 years almost yeah. after this. I mean, it just would have been cool if they still had some in a bucket somewhere. I know, but that's why people are like, well, why didn't they ever grab any of that stuff? It's like, what were they going to do with it? I don't know. Dunk some... Bread in it, need it. Like the Kentucky fondue. meat shower. <laughs> yeah, they ate that stuff. Yeah, I don't know. This they is... had a whole festival around the Kentucky meat shower, trying to guess what the meat was. Ooh, would you have eaten it? No. I bet back in the eighteen hundreds you would have. Uh, maybe. <laughs> or so whenever that was. I think that was in the fifties. Yeah, I think it was forties, fifties, something like that. Yeah. Huh. This one's a weird one. I don't know. Short and sweet. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy though. But, I mean, corroborated by the mayor and other prominent citizens of the place. So I believe it happened. It's just weird. I don't understand. It's hard to wrap my mind around what it actually could be or what caused it. But, yeah, I don't know. This is a strange, strange phenomenon. Bleeding clouds are not, it's weird to say, bleeding clouds are not unheard of. Really? And it's weird. Uh, It'll keep popping up again and again. There's just a taste Ooh, a taste of blood shower. All right, let's move on to our final story before we get to our talking points. Okay. Ooh, this one? Yeah. Okay. This one's called Strange Things from the Clouds. Uh, The Sullivan Republican, July 17th, 1891, Pennsylvania. So here we go. These all have this word in it. Okay, here we go. You'll see. A phenomenon which probably has no parallel on record was observed in in Buffalo, New York, the other day. At 10.30 a.m., park policeman Edward Fitzgibbon was standing near the front house. The front house is, I guess, a a 
um, the house pro- in the front of the property. No, no, no. It's literally called the front house. Like, oh, it's like a a, a place. Yes, that's okay. what, that's what I was trying to clear up. I was like, is it the house? I thought it was just going to be the house in front of that property. No, it's yeah, it's the front house. It must be a prominent place. When, as he at first supposed, heavy drops of rain began falling, he noticed that they fell with unusual force upon his hat and clothes. And upon examination, he discovered that instead of a rain shower of small shot, was instead of a rain. Instead of a rain, a shower of small shot was falling from the clouds. Joseph C. Green, another park policeman, noticed the strange phenomenon. <laughs> and these men, together with Mrs. Buchanan, her sisters, her sister and others, were all witness of the leaden shower. The shower lasted for over an hour, and the people in the neighborhood caught the shot in hats and aprons. Reporters visited the next day and gathered a quantity of the leaden rain. During a thunderstorm the same evening, live turtles, some of them as large as a man's hand, fell on the farm of Adam Walker in Coal Creek Township, Indiana. No trees were near, and they must have dropped in the clouds. <laughs> um, wait, I think that was Indiana. I don't know. Yeah, but I just thought it was funny that they thought the turtles were falling out of the trees. Yeah, exactly. Like, how'd they get up in the trees? Like, are you kidding me? The, oh, those famous climbing turtles. Lead and rain. So, like, literally, like, birdshot, right? No, like, chunky rain. Hmm. It's, uh, everything I looked up before about was more like viscous rain. Interesting. Like, our, well, we're getting, you know, a whole other episode later on. A shower of jelly. Oh, this is what you meant by the reproductive fluid. Mm-hmm. That's what it means. It's talking, and that's, you know, there's a lot of this is having to transcribe language. Even though it's the English language, it's 150 years ago, and a lot has changed. Right. Red and rain, in this context, I believe, means viscous, heavy chunks of what they assumed was hard rain. Could be, I wonder if there's if it was eggs. Eggs, jelly, and stuff like that. So, uh, star jelly is a long-term phenomena. Yes, it's a uh, it's it's crazy. Cosmic goo, cosmic goo, um, but this seems to have that. Plus, uh, we'll get to the turtle thing here in a second. So you have this for last for over an hour, large cloud, odd cloud again, mm-hmm. producing jelly. Strange, um, and this jelly could be one of these creatures dying. It could be literally its body being chunked apart. You know, I believe most of these creatures are gelatinous in per se. You know, like uh, some kind of hybrid between a jellyfish and a balloon to where they, they, they probably are a lot more stretchy. Yeah. But still in their core matter or gelatinous. Uh, so it could be literally one of these creatures ripping the other one apart. Hmm. And, you know, that's what you're getting. You're getting these strips or little pebbles of it breaking apart as it's falling. Another one is reproductive fluids where they may be breeding. And this is either a byproduct of reproduction, like we talk about with bean beetles and stuff producing all that foam. Yeah. When they reproduce, this could be a byproduct where it's not purposeful for anything after, but it's just what is produced when these twos, two or more of these creatures may be actively reproducing. Right. Or it could be in itself the reproductive material to where this is what forms new creatures. It may spore off. It may form uh, jellyfish have a really unique, really, really unique reproductive system. Um where they form a zygote that forms a little fish-like structure that then forms a little plant-like structure then grows flowers that produce jellyfish. Right, yep. It's very different. Insane. 
Yes. And it's it's hard to explain when you don't know what you're talking like when you when you're not looking at it. I know, I, and luckily I've seen that before. Yeah, I, I showed, showed you, I've showed you the the diagrams. Yeah, uh, I've given you the talk. <laughs> um, what would you call that in jellyfish terms? It's about the birds and the bees. Uh, the flowers and the fish. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you have you have these creatures that are gelatinous. They have extremely unique reproductive cycles, and then you have even things like flatworms. They're part. You know, one way they can reproduce is literally splitting up. Right. Yeah. Is that called a? Oh. There's a name for that. Uh, it's bisexual reproduction, but there's other names for it. Yeah. It's almost like budding. Yeah, then it, it could be a form of budding, too, mm. to where they're literally producing little ones that are kicking off. Yeah. Uh, so this could be a good... There's a good chance that this is a reproductive material. Um, and later on, you'll hear about more stories of the star jelly to where it can be quite toxic and quite dangerous to people. People mm. don't realize it. Like, they'll walk up and pick up a chunk of this jelly and... They like go into a seizure or a coma, or they start front like they anaphylactic shock. Yeah, uh, one lady was like she was on fire. She literally so I had a severe allergic reaction, not anaphylactic, but a severe allergic reaction. And uh, basically, I thought I was on fire. I was screaming. I was slamming on the ground, and that's exactly what this woman experienced. Mm. To where she was laying on the ground, just screaming top of her lungs, couldn't explain to anybody what was happening. It's because she touched a chunk of the stuff. And jellyfish cells, stinging cells, can still fire long after the jellyfish is dead. Oh, yeah. Uh, so if it's a creature, let's say it's similar to that, to where it does have stinging cells for protection or predation, uh, then now it's you're touching it. And, and then you're yeah, infecting it, yourself. Yeah, you're it. frying yourself. There you go, yeah. Um, so there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of similarities with these creatures and other known creatures. So that's why, to me, their biology is not that questionable because I can literally take you to another book and be like, well, that's what this creature does, and that's what this creature does. Already exists in nature. Yeah. So these creatures... So this jelly phenomena can be all kinds of different things. Hmm. I could, like I said, it could be them falling apart. You know, It could be literally another smaller creature or a predator ripping them apart, and there's literally just chunks of them landing everywhere. Right, yeah. You know... Uh, because if you if you get broken up that high up in the atmosphere, especially if you're very gelatinous, yeah, it would rain. It would it would spread over a wide area too. So if we look at our more gelatinous based upper atmospheric creatures that we believe exist, you know the manta ray like and the jellyfish like are almost translucent. So their matter is not that hard. That's why they move very slow. Uh, you know, because uh, that way they're not the wind speed's not ripping them apart. Right, exactly. When your harder bodied ones, like the silver disc and the mushrooms and the the more worm like ones, they move very quickly because their body has a lot more harder parts on it. They're designed to do it. Yeah, yeah. So if you are this and you start flying through the sky a little fast, you're gonna be ripped apart. Hmm, interesting. So if you get caught in a bad storm, you can yeah, you can be turned to jelly really quick. Like that. Uh, oh, like that comb jelly. Uh. And that video we watched where it looks yeah. like an underwater UFO and then it gets sucked into it. It looks like the boat. And then it gets turned to putty. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bad. Now let's move on to the turtle thing. Yeah. What's that all about? So there's kind of this theory that these creatures may be able to just kind of scoop up whole ponds. Okay. So they like use their very viscous membrane as more like a net. Mm, interesting. So they'll just kind of scoop down a pond, take everything that's alive out of it, and then eat it. But were the turtles alive? Yeah, so maybe it did this, and it found a pond to feed on, scooped all the stuff out of it, 
and then maybe found a mate. So it's like, uh, you know, I got more important things. I'm getting rid of all this food. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, it, it, creatures purge yourself for reproduction. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of creatures that do this. Uh, and then so the turtles are quite resilient. I've seen turtles thrown up by largemouth bass that have been, they've been in their stomach for a while and they're still alive. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, we shocked up a turtle, or we shocked up a bass that threw up a turtle that had a partially digested arm and it was still alive. That's crazy. That's crazy. Very resilient. Oh, yeah. I was thinking it was like an Ernest Goes to Camp where they drop the turtles out of parachutes to attack uh, Maybe. Know, people. So, yeah. <laughs> so these things exist in nature everywhere. Hmm. That's kind of crazy. That's kind of scary. Now, do you think they're eating people? People? Yeah. Well, I'd hope not. Hopefully not eating people, but I don't know what I think this particular one is in my mind i think it's like reproductive like eggs you think this is so the stuff that's hitting the ground yeah is reproductive jelly yeah i think so maybe it is did find a mate and it's like fertilized eggs or something it's just dropping them down or whatever you're using eggs as a zygote whatever whatever is being produced is the off will become offspring i'm thinking like in my head like frog you know frog eggs Mm -hmm. how they're all like jelly and like something like that and they just rain them down. Maybe they grow here on the ground first. I don't know. Or maybe they're birthed here. Like how turtles go up on the land, sea turtles, and, I don't know, bury their eggs in the beach. Then they come out. Maybe they just drop their eggs here, like in some water or something. Or they aim for water. Or just wherever they happen to meet I do, up. I don't think they aim for water. Just I think wherever? they aim for land. Oh, okay. See? Same thing. Maybe And maybe they follow storm systems where it rains. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting stuff. Oh, yeah. So this has been Killer Clouds. Killer Clouds from upper space. <laughs> now, uh, it's definitely an interesting phenomenon we're working heavily with on some side projects. That's kind of why we debuted this, um, because we've been working so heavily on this stuff. Well, you have been so far. Yeah. You're about to. I know. For the next two hours. Oh, gosh. Why work on other stuff? Oh, boy. Um. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's very interesting stuff, and we will have more information about it coming out very soon. Uh, and we're getting ready to start. Either we have like four or five other podcasts that want us on their show to talk about this topic specifically. Uh, they, a lot of them think they heard the mushroom one on the confessionals, but they re- don't re- maybe realize that that is one species that we're talking about in the upper yeah. atmosphere. There's a whole ecosystem, the amount of creatures that are described. But it's weird. There's like I would say five or six hardcore groups. Of species or maybe family groups, yeah. Uh, where there's some species variants, but there's this type and there's this type and there's this type, and they're heavily organic. And that doesn't even, you know, touch on like the the microscopic, the small, small. Oh, stuff. there's thousands of species. Yeah. Uh, plankton have been discovered in the upper atmosphere now. Actual plankton and actual jellyfish, right? Yes, like uh, little uh, tiny uh, jellyfish. I, I know I say that, but it's kind of hard to explain. It is a. It's in the clade of jellyfish. Yes, there you go. So it's very different than what we think of as jellyfish, but there are many jellyfish-like things that are like that. Yeah. It's genetically cousins to a jellyfish. Up there. Been yeah. discovered and proven. Yep. Very. I think it only has three cells, though. Still. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah. it's very impressive and just... Right, yeah. They're there. They're there. Uh, and fungi are up there. Uh, actually, I just read the new report that came out from NASA... And fungi may be the most diverse thing in the upper atmosphere. 
Wow. Because they deal with the radiation the best. Yeah. Uh, jellyfish deal with radiation great, too, and people don't realize that. It's because when you're that simple. So the problem, why is radiation dangerous? Hmm. I don't know. So radiation is dangerous for us because it degrades our DNA. Okay. So when we produce more cells, that's how you get like cancer and stuff like that. You yeah. S- you start like cells not separating, cells not being produced right. Uh, when you're incredibly much more simple, your DNA is much more resilient. You don't have as many odds and ends. You don't right. have as many complex pieces to mess up. L- yeah, less to mess up. Yeah. So you can handle radiation better. Mm. Or I mean, in the fungi's case, you know, you you evolve firewalls around radiation you know right if you're reproducing in that their, their environment d- their dna is much more i'm trying to describe it spongy it can handle the hits yeah uh and they you know without yeah so you have a couple of these clades that are either very simple and that's how they deal with the radiation is that they're you know they can handle much higher levels without d- dna degradation mm-hmm. now radiation has other problems when you get to higher and higher levels don't get me wrong I'm talking about, you know, our base levels of radiation, why it's, like, dangerous for us to be around things. Right, yeah. Is because of the long-term effects. I but, mean, you could be, like, you like the Chernobyl, they melted because it was literally, it broke apart their bodies. It pulled the bonds yes. apart. So there was, you know, there's higher levels of radiation that cause much more problems. I'm talking about, you know, levels of radiation, why we couldn't just walk, if you could walk around in the, the stratosphere, why that would be a bad idea. Mm, gotcha, okay. It's because the base radiation level would be quite, ill health you know it it caused ill health towards you but yeah so the upper atmosphere all the time is looking more and more like the open ocean uh it's crazy the 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 lines that we're drawing uh every time i look at something new it's like well that makes sense well that makes sense Mm -hmm. connecting dots and the like so we were talking about plankton but there's also thousands of microorganisms uh, and where you have thousands of microorganisms, you have other stuff that follow. That stuff that eats that. Yeah, and then f- whole complex food chain. So that's kind of the big thing right now with the upper atmospheric studies is that 10 years ago, 10 years ago, we would have said there was no complex food chain in the upper atmosphere. When we first put the first probe up in 2017, we were expecting to find a dozen or so species. Mm-hmm. And we found, you know, around 4,000. Uh, and that was on the first, you know, couple probes. Yeah. And that was below the ozone layer. And that was as recent as 2019, right? That was 17 is that one. And they did it again in 19. Okay. Uh, yeah, so the 19, I think, was the most recent. But that's all below the ozone layer. And that's kind of a weird thing is because we think life has to be below the ozone layer because of the radiation. So it's a, you know, one of these things where we're not looking for life where we don't expect to find it. Right, exactly. But we did that with volcanic vents forever mm-hmm. because the water is so hot and so sulfuric rich. Nothing can live there. And there's whole ecosystems that eat sulfur right. and evolved around these sulfuric vents. Yep. And we don't understand. There's these niche environments everywhere. The upper atmosphere is the biggest open environment on the planet. What did that guy say in Jurassic Park? Life always finds a way. Yep. And it really does. Life will always, life a poor, uh, life a pause. Uh, I can't even say that word. A pours. Life hates a vacuum. Oh, okay. That word. A pours. I guess. Maybe. Okay. Life a pours a vacuum. Uh, so that's the biggest vacuum of no nothing occupying that space or what we thought nothing. So far, you know, four thousand species of microorganisms, and that includes fungi, bacteria, 
a cut, you know, some multi-celled stuff. Yep. Fungi have had, you know, they've been on the earth. They've been the longest, most complex thing on the planet. So they've had plenty of chances. Right. They were here to, before trees. To, they were here before anything else had multi, multiple cells. So they were here way before sharks. They, oh, yes, yeah. Sharks are older than trees, and fungi are older than sharks. Hmm. Fungi were the first trees. That's true. Yeah, they were giant fungi. I don't know how else mm-hmm. to explain it. <laughs> uh, trees had about a 40 million year run where they were the best things on the planet because nothing could break down uh, wood mm-hmm. until fungi's like, ah, I got it. They figured it out. Yeah, the, the, that's why. Like, that's what made our big carbon deposits. Leave it to mushrooms. Mm-hmm. They figure They'll figure it out. it out. Yep. I think the oldest mushroom, like true mushroom fossil, or what we t- today would identify as a mushroom, it's like one point four billion years old. That's pretty old. That's pretty old. Yeah. So they've had mycelia network is that one that's like two point four billion years old. Okay. So that's that complex network that feeds and eats whole forest. Was pretty much as far as we know, right out the gate. So, where they come from? Are they aliens? I don't know. I think we, if, in that context, we would be the aliens. Ah, okay. Because they were here first. first. Hmm, interesting. Mushrooms run everything. Yes. Uh, one of our new uh, reviews said that. Really? Yeah, it's pretty wicked. That they talk about Bob in it. That's pretty funny. I, I think that's it for... Killer clouds. Yeah, this is a good. It's like almost like an introduction to the, this whole species. Yeah, or different kinds of species. Yeah, and then we'll do more. Introduction to this biosphere. How's there that you sound? go. Yeah, a study of upper atmospheric biology. Mm. I have been the great and powerful mystery, and I've been Sniffly J, and together we were Crows of the Corn Patreon. Everybody have a good week. I hope you enjoy this episode. Bye. Mushrooms rule everything. You've been listening to Cryptids of the Corn. Be sure to join us in the next episode where we tantalize your intellect and expand the horizons of your mind. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we really appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Until then, stay magical. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.